it's okay to piss some consumers and some customers off. Even down to like the brands and the businesses that are willing to take some of these political but human stances on things, for instance, with Black Lives Matter. Like, yeah, you're going to put that out. Some people are going to absolutely hate that. And I think that's totally fine. Because if you're not pissing those people off and not being a good human, you're not appealing to the people who are also good humans. And those are the people that you want. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. Welcome to the podcast, Jens. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Really excited. Yeah, the main reason I wanted to bring you on the podcast is just I love what Chancey is doing. Um, your guys' marketing, your guys' brand is awesome. Uh, but before we jump into all of that, uh, maybe give the listeners some context, who you are, what you're up to, uh, kind of your origin story. Yeah, totally. So uh, co-founder and CMO at Shinesty, we sell what we describe as irreverent apparel for, for all of life's social moments. Uh and it kind of runs the gamut. We men's clothes, women's clothes, more lifestyle apparel, you know, more what you might think of as like novelty, more costume apparel in some cases. Um, and we try to sell it all with our really, really irreverent brand. Uh, everything that we do is kind of focused on forcing the world to take its less self less seriously. And we try to live up to that with all of our marketing and our, our brand and our products by entertaining first and, and selling to our customers second. Um, so that's a little bit about the company and the brand. I guess we, we've been around for about five years at this point. Um, we've been able to grow really quickly in that time. We've been very fortunate. Um, and before that, before starting Shinesty, I was actually in like management consulting with kind of a marketing focus, helping really large brands kind of figure out what new products to launch, how to position them, what advertisements to run those types of things, answering questions that, you know, ultimately relied on talking to consumers. Um, and so that's kind of where I got an original, like that's where I originally started my career before actually starting Shinesty. Awesome. Uh, you, you, you talked about the management side of things. What uh, made you want to transition to Shinesty and start your own uh, direct to consumer uh, brand? Yeah, I guess there's a couple parts to it. I, you know, from like just growing up, my my family was always very entrepreneurial. Not in like the sense that we maybe think of today with startups, but they were always in the uh, like cattle and ranching business, and and then the oil business, uh, basically by owning and operating our own oil field in Wyoming. So my family's always been very entrepreneurial, um, and so I always kind of had that bug. I even I started like my first company when I was like in like sixth grade, I think it was selling skateboard wax to, you know, shops in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, so I always kind of had the bug to start my own business. Um, and, you know, fortunately I, I met my co-founder and he had kind of this premise for a business and I was like, ah, this is incredible. I, I'd love to be a part of it. So it kind of, in some ways I always had the, the bug, but the opportunity in many ways also landed in my lap. Um, and then I, I was also at a point with, with management consulting where, I had gotten to see a lot of businesses and, you know, dive into some really complex business questions that, that these companies had, uh, which were like along the lines of like Starbucks and Nestle and Coca-Cola and the, uh, Pernover card family of spirits brands and Chobani and new Belgium and things like that. Um, 
and that was really exciting, but I was always kind of, you know, left at the end of the day with like, well, here's a report, here's some recommendations. I hope you guys take some of them. And I was always kind of missing that. Uh, well, what happens next from here? Where does the rubber meet the road? And I was always really curious and passionate about not just coming up with ideas and solutions to complex business challenges, but actually like putting them into effect and iterating on them to actually get uh, the type of results that businesses are looking for. Absolutely. Uh, you talked about being, uh, obviously you have that management and uh, strategic backgrounds, uh, but your, your role right now being the CMO of Shinesty, um, Shinesty uh, what, what's your favorite part of the, part of the role, the CMO role? I think if I like really sum it up, it's that at the end of the day, my, me and my team are responsible for making people laugh and just putting really entertaining quality comedy online. Um, it's something that like everybody is, I think for the most part inherently open to people love to laugh. They love comedy. They love bright spots in their day. Uh, and we're just trying to find a way to do that. That happens to have, you know, apparel at the end of the day that we sell instead of being, you know, comedians or a media company, for instance. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. What's, uh, we have a lot of listeners that are in marketing or have a small business or e-commerce business. Uh, but what's something uh, that you wish you would have known uh, when you first began your um, journey? Yeah, I, man, that's a, that's a really great question. And there are certainly a lot of things that could be said to that, but if there's one that, if there's one that I really have to go with, it's, you know, the ability to think about building processes and then delegating them. I think it's really easy as you are when you're a new business and there's tons and tons of opportunities and so many things that you could be doing. It's easy to become, to, to go into too many and to do many without ever like kind of building them up to scale, you know, setting a process so that it can be handed off. And then, you know, someone can even iterate and build on it from there and you can go on to the next thing. Um, you know, people who tend to start businesses tend to be, I think they're inherently pretty good at execution and you know, if, if they're getting scale from their business, they've, they've clearly been successful in that execution. And so it's easy to build things, but not always to pass them off and, um, you know, free up your capacity for the next thing. So if I could go back and be hyper-conscious of that, I think I would probably build some processes and, uh, transition them a little bit differently. Right. Right. Yeah. As business owners, sometimes it's, uh, Hard not to get stuck working in the business rather than working on the business. That's exactly, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to beat over a dead horse uh, with the whole pandemic stuff, but I'm curious to know um, how you guys have been, um, I guess, navigating through these uh, quote unquote new normal waters. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. You can imagine that being in the theme party and like, event apparel space, this might be a, this would be a very bad time to be in that business. Um, and in many ways it's been really challenging. Uh, most of our, you know, a lot of our products, at least more than half of our sales is geared around, you know, people going out for St. Patrick's day and the 4th of July and Christmas parties and the Kentucky Derby and things like that. Uh, so a pandemic that inherently limits the amount of people who can be together and how close they can be is, is really challenging on that side of the business. But, you know, fortunately we have a couple line of product lines that are 
more lifestyle. And we've really focused on switching up our positioning, changing our creative, uh, and really leaning into those product categories that we felt are still relevant so that we could kind of make lemonade in this situation, so to speak. And we've actually been really successful in that. Um, we're actually still up meaningfully year over year. And after hitting like a very, very low point, you know, mid to late March when everything kind of really started to hit a fan, you know, we've, we've kind of gone back to our pre COVID levels and then some as a result of just trying to really think about, Hey, what products can we sell and how do we need to message and promote them in order for those message, that message to land and people actually buy in this crazy, crazy, uh, social context and economic climate that we're in. Absolutely. And I just have to say kudos to you and the Shinesty team for uh, the quarantine collection. Um, I'm really enjoying that creative. It's uh, the creative creative team has had a a lot of fun with this. I mean, we were they're they're running lines like the quarantine collection and like social distance your balls from your leg. Hopefully that's not too much for this podcast, but like that's that's the like headline for our underwear collection right now. Uh, and unfortunately, I mean, people I think have really liked it. There's enough like doom and gloom from the media and, and tons of other places. So in large part, people have really been like, wow, this is hilarious. Way to like be topical and lean into the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. It's, it's, uh, it's great. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't stick on failure and challenges too much, but I'm just curious, uh, what's maybe what's one big uh, challenge or even failure that, uh, uh, you, you learn from during your uh, business journey? That's a great question. Let me think about that for a sec. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I have to say, you know, we have a really ambitious and entrepreneurial team. And as a result, I think most entrepreneurs and a lot of people listening to this podcast, there's almost innumerable things that you could be doing. Um, especially in the early stages when you're like, man, we don't send that type of email sequence or we're not, you know, advertising on that platform or man, we haven't looked at our organic search keywords in a long time. It's really, really easy, uh, to spread yourself thin and to lose focus and there as a result, like, you know, you kind of feel like you're checking every single box and doing something everywhere, which, uh, you know, maybe at surface level is good, but that lack of focus and that inability to kind of go deep and really do a very, and do very deep work in a channel or a product category or whatever it is, I think ultimately hurts you, um, so it's been challenging to maintain focus and really prioritize when there are so many incredible opportunities out there. Um, I like to say, I mean, it's, it's a lot harder to say no than it is to say yes to things. Um, but there are, there are definitely hidden costs to that. Absolutely. I just want to switch gears up a little bit. So maybe jump into some, uh, marketing talk. Um, yeah, let's do it. You've, uh, you mentioned that you've been in business for five years and uh, killing it ever since. Uh, but how, from your perspective, how's the industry changed uh, from when you first started to now? Yeah, I mean, if, if by so when I'm going to talk about industry, I think I'll talk more about like retail, e-commerce, digitally native type things. But um, there are certainly like a number of shifts that I think have happened since we started out. 
you know, first and foremost, the landscape has gotten incredibly saturated and uh, cluttered for that matter. Um, you know, there's probably more players in any individual category than there's ever been in history. It's just the proliferation, the ease of starting businesses has created a lot of new businesses. And that's obviously, that's made it challenging. You know, in some ways there's a lot more dollars flowing into ad markets, for instance, but I almost think like from the customer perspective, it's made it even harder because you're like getting inundated with new brand after new brand after new brand. And as soon as you find your next pair of awesome athletic shorts from this new brand, there's another brand right behind it with another incredible offering. Um, so I think it's gotten really saturated, which is, which necessitates brands finding ways to stand out. And that's harder than ever. Um, another thing I think that's happened though, you know, especially even in like the last year is that the industry has shifted and people are seeing that like, Hey, a lot of like venture backed, high growth, high burn businesses aren't actually faring as well as they used to. And so I think there's a, a move towards starting to create, uh, you know, smarter growth, profitable brands than there ever have been. And I think we'll actually probably see overall, you know, better brands that can stand the test of time as a result of that. I think about like the the likes of Uber and Lyft and Casper and all these companies that have tried to IPO and haven't, you know, had the most solid financials uh, to create a long-term healthy business. And I think that's, you know, finally working its way back to all these funded or not funded startups who are like, whoa, you know, maybe we need to think twice about this like growth at all cost mindset. Yeah, absolutely. The growth at all cost mindset uh, isn't too too kind on uh, longevity. So um, it's awesome to hear um, that you think otherwise. Um, speaking of trends and how the industry landscape is changing, uh, what do you think is the most exciting marketing trend or even marketing um, execution at the moment? Another great question. You know, one thing that's really top of mind for me right now is just is the number of businesses that are, you know, not trying to be these like apolitical entities, uh, but rather, you know, large brands with large reach and influence are starting to use their platforms for good. Um, the one I think of most recently is this is Black Lives Matter. And the number of businesses that are coming out and saying that and saying, saying that they stand with the black community, I think is absolutely incredible. Uh, because inevitably, whenever you take that stance, because it is so right, it's so correct and, and absolutely the thing that we should do, but it is polarizing. And I think for a long time, businesses have been afraid to take those types of stands and alienate customers. But I'm, I've been really fired up and, and really inspired recently by all the brands who are like, you know what? Who cares if this is bad for some part of our business? That's not the business that we wanted anyway. Um, and so people like starting to use their influence for good, even if there are some potential, you know, business hits that come from it, I think is is really, really awesome. Uh, you know, Nike started this out a couple of years ago uh, as one example, but I think, you know, it's really starting to catch on. And I think that's going to be a really incredible impetus for change. Right, absolutely. Uh, is the Nike campaign you're referring to the Stand With Cap uh, campaign? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think uh, brands are making, or at least brands that I admire, are making uh, more political stances rather rather than being apolitical, like you said, r regardless of the backlash or outrage, quote unquote, uh, that happens. 
Um, speaking of which, though, uh, I'm curious to get your take on um, maybe some marketers or even brands that you're um, inspired by or even admire. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of different brands. I like a lot of different brands and marketers for different reasons. But in general, I find myself really pumped up by the brands who are willing to like break the mold, so to speak, not just with their business models. Cause I think a lot of really successful businesses do that, but with their brands and how they talk to customers, I, you know, some of these are really big. I think about Red Bull whose brand has, you know, grown so far beyond, you know, a, a drink that gives you energy. That's really cool. Uh, Dollar Shave Club was like, you know what, we're going to break the mold in terms of how we talk to customers in a mass, 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 a, a mass category, uh, like razors. And they, you know, created this like snarky, sarcastic, humor driven brand that, you know, I, I would say like many have tried to imitate and few have been successful with, but those types of people who kind of break out of the traditional, like, this is our product. This is the brand that supports it. This is how we're going to you know, follow the playbook that others have been successful by the people who've broken out of that, uh, really, really inspire me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I would love to get your uh, opinion on Jens is, uh, uh you, you speak on brands, uh, standing out with their, um, branding and building community. Um, but what's the biggest misconception, um, about launching a new brand or a marketing campaign? Mm, brand or marketing campaign. Cause I think my, my, my answer would be different depending on which one. <laughs> uh, let's go with both. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, if it, when it comes to brands, I think there's a huge misconception that like you can build these things in a flash and have them last. Most of the brands that we think about today have been around for like decades or they've pumped like tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars into the market to, you know, get, get where get to where they're at today. But in general, brands take a very long time to build. And, you know, we were in an age of a lot of venture capital backing and high growth startups and, you know, digital, digital media landscapes that allow people to get a lot of reach very quickly. But even still, to become a name brand, uh, which is our goal, it you have to be willing to be in it for the long haul. Um, and I think anyone that says like a name brand can be built like really, really, really quick is, is wrong. Um, so that would be my answer on the brand side. Uh, I think on the marketing campaign side, um, I think it's kind of the, if you build it, they will come. People kind of think there's, they're a little bit, there's a risk of like feeling infallible in, in launching things or like, you know, as soon as I just get this out there, as soon as I bring it to market, everything's going to be great. Sales are going to be through the roof. And I actually think that like the best campaigns that we've ever run, they didn't know it. Many times they don't start out, you know, particularly stand out. It's through iterating, testing, tweaking inputs, tweaking landing pages, uh, and really iterating and refining to something that we've been able to get the most, efficient, most scalable marketing campaigns. Um, it's not like a launch it, set it and forget it, uh, which is very different than what, you know, larger legacy brands do where they're like, we're going to invest, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in this ad campaign, we're going to create all these assets. And then we're just going to like go and pump millions of dollars in the market and hope it works. You know, <laughs> I mean, 
for us now, it's like, a, nope, let's put something out, expect it's not going to be quite right. And, you know, over the course of several weeks, we're going to, you know, iterate, tweak and refine this thing to something that can be really, really successful and scalable. Absolutely. Speaking of launching uh, marketing campaigns, uh, I'm curious as to know whatever you can share, but what's the, been the most successful marketing campaign you've ever worked on? Hmm. Okay, I'm going to say this and it's going to be a little counterintuitive to what I just said before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, about four years ago, we got into the like physical catalog space. Um, like literally like sending a holiday catalog, here's our products around Christmas time. And I say this is kind of funny in, in light of what I said before, because once you write a catalog and you send it to press, you, you can't go back and tweak and change things. It's like you, you set your destiny. But um, I will say, I think it was really successful for a couple of reasons. Um, the first was at the time, there were very few, relatively few direct to consumer brands really leaning into this space. It was kind of like, it's since become one of these old as new again channels. But at the time, there were very few people doing it. And we wanted to kind of flip that marketing channel on its head in terms of what consumers had come to expect. So, you know, and, and even still, I think people expect to be inundated. It's going to be like J. Crew and Our House and uh, uh, Oriental Trading Company and all these like very, very big catalog mailers that everyone's heard of. And we were like, you know what? We want to like make this thing absolutely hilarious. It, if you're in it for one page, you're in it for 36 pages. Like you just can't flip through it enough. And we poured over and scrutinized every detail. We thought about how to turn every page, you know, every uh, type of layout on its head from what people would come to expect with catalogs. Uh, as a result, it was like it. It was the first time we launched it, the single like most efficient piece of quote unquote paid media we'd ever put out. And it still continues to be one of our absolutely most successful, highest, uh, fastest growing channels of all time. Wow. The traditional mail. Hey, that's, that's crazy. traditional catalogs. Yeah. <laughs> 28 awesome. to 40 pages, depending on the <laughs> to push lots of, lots of coffee, lots of high impact imagery. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, switching back to a little bit more the digital realm, uh, but what's uh, what's been your favorite social uh, media networks for growing the business, or like personally, or what's the? Uh, yeah, for growing your business, or uh, you could also add in uh, personally as well. <laughs> I'll start with the first. Uh, you know, I like like most brands that you probably asked this question to Facebook and Instagram have been, uh, really foundational social channels for us. We're a very visual brand. And for that reason, they're highly visual platforms combined with their, you know, algorithms that many have imitated. Few have been successful in imitating, uh, that combination has been really, really powerful us for, for us and helped us find a lot of new customers. Um, you know, we've, we've dabbled in a lot of the other ones that, that people talk about the Snapchats and the Pinterest and things like that, but have never been able to kind of get quite the scale or the consistency inefficiency that we want to really keep those going all the time at full steam. Mm. My next question, I was, uh, 
I was curious, but what's what's the biggest thing Shinesty does that consumers or maybe me or the listeners don't don't know about? You know, I think I think if you look at our site, hopefully you see that like the brand is just imbued into everything we do. Every every email, every product description, every email, every line of copy. But I think one that that you know for better or worse, relatively few people actually experience is our really incredible customer experience team and how like insanely committed to making people happy uh, that they are. Um, if you have an issue and you contact our customer service team, I guarantee they will make it right and go above and beyond for you. Uh, and they will do it in a way that you probably don't expect because all of our customer service interactions are also imbued with that same brand uh, that seems snarky, sarcastic, irreverent tone that you expect when you engage with Shinesty. Only they're also going to help you solve whatever issue you may have come across. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's not intended to just be kind of this like hilarious brand on the forefront. No, you're going to get that at every single touch point. And if you have to get in contact with us, you're going to actually get one of the most standout customer uh, service experiences you've ever ever seen. Um, and I think for that reason, we actually have like a very, very incredibly high net promoter score. If you're familiar with that metric, mm-hmm. um, we're, you know, based, it's intended, you know, to sum up the entire experience. Uh, but ours is like regularly in the mid eighties, which is higher, you know, it's, it's up there with like the Bonobos and the Warby Parkers and the people that are like known for it. Um, our, so ours is at least as high, if not higher in many cases wow yeah you sold me i almost want to just call it <laughs> myself <laughs> um here uh, this question is a little bit more maybe out of the box or a little bit uh trickier but uh what's one question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked Ooh. probably what my favorite product is on the site <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite product on the site? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be our uh, ball hammock boxer briefs, which is a funny name, but it's like, and and a lot of people who come to our site, they're like, wow, this is like visually pretty aggressive. Like, you know, there's, I might have instances for these products, you know, few and far between occasions, except uh, our underwear. It's this category that's like very lifestyle. Everyone needs it. You need a lot of them. And for that reason, I love it because it allows us to reach a totally different market. It allows us to engage with our customers in like a totally different way than a lot of our products. Um, and it's also just unbelievable. Like by far and away, in my opinion, but also because I'm avid for these, I wear them every single day, are far and away best product, uh, in my opinion. Super comfortable. You wear them every day. Yes, there are ones that are like so outlandish. You'd probably look at it and say, who the hell would wear these? But there's also the you know navy blue and black and patterns and things. So <laughs> it's a it's an unexpected category I think to find from a brand like us. But certainly like what I would say the hidden gem in there. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. I love your uh, video on your homepage of your website. It's uh, very visually appealing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so a few more questions here, Jens. Um, what uh, what have you read or listened to recently that's uh, inspired you in your marketing or even just general business uh, journey? 
Yeah. Um, so there's a podcast called Exit Strategy with a guy named uh, Moise Ali. He was the founder of Native Deodorant. And we were actually in the uh, in a, the same venture portfolio. I met him at one of their CMO days. And uh, I think he's, he's since he sold that business to Procter & Gamble and is, is doing this podcast. And it's, it's really awesome because he talks with founders, you know, typically in kind of like oftentimes at like either exited or later stage, uh, later growth stage companies. And I really like that because it's, it's like the next stage beyond where, where we're at. I'm always trying to like learn from the people who've gotten past where we're at today. And he just talks to people, it, they tend to be really candid. They tend to, you know, talk about how they didn't just grow the business, but how they actually like were able to, in many cases, get it acquired. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot of great founder stories on there from a lot of direct consumer brands that I really like too. Mm. Yeah. You being yourself being such a successful CMO, um, what do you, what would you say is the unique skill that, uh, that's helped you become so successful? You know, for better or worse, I, I'm, I'm kind of right between the lines when it comes to being more, uh, you know, qualitative and quantitative. And I think great, you know, marketing is, is interesting because, you know, marketing is inherently part like, Hey, how do we like think about consumer psychology and copyright and create images and ads that hook people's attention. Um, and it's also part, especially today with direct consumer you know, e-commerce, it's, it's really quantitative, like to be, you know, spend six to seven figures in ad spend a month. Like you have to be really, you know, maniacally uh, sophisticated with how you manage your metrics and what you look at and your business intelligence stack. And I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I've always been really interested in both sides of, of that, like qualitatively and from a consumer psychology standpoint, like how do you get people to pay attention to you, remember you, be interested in your products and ultimately buy them. And I've also always been really interested in like, Hey, what are the numbers that we need to be watching to, that would indicate success and that we should lean in or, you know, that are red flags and we should scale back. Um, and, you know, I think that makes me a bit of a generalist for sure. Uh, and certainly there, there are people who are much better at copywriting. There are people who are much more, you know, financially savvy and like can write really sophisticated SQL queries and things like that. But I think I've been able to appreciate and lean in on both sides of that equation that have to come together to create a successful marketing team. Um, so I guess I'd say maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, to lean a little bit more to the quantitative side, um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on if, uh, if you had an extra, let's say 50% uh, of budget, what would you, or how would you spend that and, and why? Ooh. Okay. Uh, well, the way I manage our budget day to day is such that it's flexible enough to scale up or down depending on the success of the business. It's not like a lot of businesses where it's like, all right, we got a hundred thousand dollars this month. Let's spend it. No, like if we're, if we set out to spend a hundred thousand dollars and our numbers are crap, we're not spending a hundred thousand dollars. We're going to like, you know, save our, <laughs> save our shells until like, <laughs> until the metrics get in line and we, you know, feel like we can smartly spend that. Um, 
so because I have that kind of like flexibility, built that flexibility in, um, to be nimble on a day-to-day basis with based on how the, the business is actually performing, I would probably take an extra 50% of budget and I would put it into things that may not have such an immediate return, but that are really important. Um, I would think about things like really leaning into organic search. It's like the difference between renting or buying uh, real estate, essentially, when you think about Google uh, Google search, organic search versus Google pay, pay-per-click ads. Um, and it's one of those things, like, it's not quick, it's going to take time, but it is proven. If you lean into it, you're going to be, you're going to make money. It's just going to take a little time and it's going to be really hard to do, you know, direct attribution on it in the same way you you might from like a AdWords or a you know Facebook ads perspective. Um, so those types of things, PR would be something, uh, just the type of things that don't have that immediate ROI, but they are really important for the business in the long term. Mm. That actually segues perfectly into uh, my next question is, uh, uh, for you, what's your perspective or relationship between um, branding and sales? Ah, yes, that's a great question. Um, so, and do you, when you say branding, do you mean like brand spend or spend up brand spend versus performance marketing spend or like? Uh, brand spend. Brand spend. Yeah, I mean, I think you it's really important to have both, but you need to kind of structure and think about your results differently for them. Brand spend is really important because it's how you kind of, uh, it's how you educate people about, you know, what you stand for, the type of brand you are. Uh, but it has very different economics in a lot of cases it tends to be a lot higher top of funnel than traditional performance marketing. And so you have to allocate your spends differently uh, even down maybe to the way that you like some of it goes to CAC, some of it doesn't go to CAC, right? Cause like establishing the value of brand spend, it's very hard to do on a direct basis. Uh, it just has a very different purpose for that reason, like being, you know, probably more aggressive on the performance marketing side myself, we spend a lot less on brand than we do on performance marketing stuff. Um, and we have tried to, in some cases, blend the lines versus what people traditionally think where it's, it's either one or the other. We try to think of our products and our performance marketing, uh, spend and our creative as something that does build the brand that like educates people about like, wow, this is like a product I really want. Uh, and it's telling me the information I need to buy, but I've never been talked to like this ever before. So it tends to blur those lines. Um, but yeah, in general, I think, both are very important. You just have to like budget and set expectations accordingly so that you can invest in both sides. Absolutely. Having that uh, diversified uh, almost portfolio of, uh, of capabilities is always uh, good to have. Yeah. Um, and I would say like for very young companies, if you build from the bottom of the funnel up, anytime you start to pour fuel on, it's just going to be, all your ads are going to perform that much better when you really start to pour fuel on the fire at the top of the funnel. But if you try to start out with like big brand building ads before you have the, uh, before you have the infrastructure to support that traffic and the retargeting efforts and things like that and really convert efficiently, you're going to be wasting a lot of spend to start. So that would be my caution. Um, especially cause it's, it's really easy to think like, Oh, we want to create this really big brand piece. Well, 
that's nice, but it's unless you have like a really, really big piggy bank, it might not be the thing that allows you to like reinvest and reinvest and get bigger and bigger and bigger. So. Absolutely. So I only have a couple more questions here, Jen. Jen's, uh, I want to ask if you were to wave a magic wand, what, how would the shinesty look like uh, five to 10 years from now? Well, we'd hopefully be marching towards our like big 10 year target. I alluded to it before, but it's like, it's to become a household name. Um, and I, th- I think to do that, you know, we would, if I wave the wand, it, it means that Shinesty is in a lot of, of different categories than it's in currently a lot more lifestyle apparel categories, but also has probably started to enter some non apparel categories. Okay. Okay. Um, is there anything we, um, is there anything you're proud of that we haven't touched on? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, this has been very nice cause you ask all these questions about me, but you know, I'm, I'm one person and, uh, you know, amongst a team of, of just about 50 at this point. And like, there's no way that this business would be where it is without the incredible marketing team. Uh, which I'll talk about in a little more detail, but also the, the team that supports, supports us on both ends from like how we, you know, the products we create and how we, how we get them efficiently over into our warehouse to the team that supports all the sales that we drive as a marketing team and make sure that people get their products on time and that they're packaged nicely and that they're the right size. Uh, so this is like, I mean, it, it, it's a big symphony that has to come together to make our, our marketing and our brand, uh, a great experience. Um, and then, you know, on the marketing side specifically, like we've got a pretty young team. Like we're not working with a lot of like experienced media buyers who come from like established, uh, you know, successful proven direct consumer brands. We don't have people who have a decade of organic search experience. We have a pretty young team who've been given really big shoes to fill and have risen to the occasion and, I think it would astound people like what our team has been able to accomplish and like what, what the individual, the challenges that the individuals have risen to. It's like the person who does all our email marketing wasn't an email marketer before Shinesty. person who runs our sub- subscription business was not uh, even in e-commerce before he started. The person who runs all of our, uh, our entire creative team came to us, uh, basically conned us into an internship that turned into a job straight out of college. And now he runs all of our creative team. Uh, the person who runs our entire digital product and organic search team uh, came to us straight out of school and basically has, you know, just learned everything by doing. Uh, and I can say the same for those are, you know, some of the, the pillars of our team, but the same is true for everyone that works under them. Um, I'm just, I'm like flabbergasted every time I see what, what our team has been able to accomplish, especially in light of, you know, what their experience was coming in. Absolutely. I love hearing that uh, teamwork, team effort. Um, it's always awesome to have a symphony, like you're saying, of dedicated and awesome uh, team players. And it seems like Shinesty is well ahead, well ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank well, you. thanks for being on the podcast, Jens. Um, how we usually Thank like you so much end- for having me. <laughs> yeah, no worries. How we usually like to end the podcast is um, 
since it's a marketing theme, uh, marketing and branding is all about being unique and standing out. So uh, to close the podcast, I'd like to ask uh, what's been the most unpopular or even maybe out of the box stance you've ever taken and why? Ooh, uh, this man, I could take this a couple ways. The one I would, I, the one I would jokingly say, cause I, I, I take a lot of flack for it is that I just think football is like the most boring sport to watch. And like, <laughs> most of my friends absolutely <laughs> love it. And I'm like, man, this is like three hours for like 25 minutes of gameplay. This is very boring. No, I won't go into my personal belief on, on football, but, um, I think maybe that it's okay to piss some consumers and some customers off. Um, I firmly believe that if you're not pissing some people off, you're probably landing in the middle and therefore you're not really appealing in a strong way to everyone. Uh, this goes from everything, you know, from our more polarizing, irreverent everyday, uh, messaging that we put out that I think is okay. And that when some people are like, this is completely inappropriate from a brand, I'm like, good, get out. You weren't going to buy from us anyway. Like, <laughs> Cause the people who tend to like this type of message absolutely love it. Uh, even down to like the brands and the businesses that are willing to take, you know, some of these more like political, but human stances on things that I alluded to before, for instance, with black lives matter, like, yeah, you're going to put that out. Some people are going to absolutely hate that. And I think that's totally fine because if you're not pissing those people off and not being a good human, you're not appealing to the people who are also good humans. And those are the people that you want, uh, on your side of the court anyway. Absolutely. No, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm happy to have a good human like you on the podcast. And <laughs> thanks for being <laughs> I appreciate Seems it. like the, uh, the right thing to do. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been, it's been real, man. Awesome, man. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.